basically let's welcome everybody out. This is a, a joint venture of Discover Marijuana and Utah in the Weeds. Uh, Discover Marijuana with Tim and Blake. I'm I'm Tim Pickett, and we've got Blake Smith, who is you can see masked up and at the airport, just joining us back. Perfect timing, Blake, to join us. We're going to talk about Delta 8 versus Delta 9 today, and I'm going to share my screen and do some intros just to get started so you guys can all kind of learn who we are if you don't know who we are. Um, I'm going to share the sound here, the PowerPoint. So we're, we're going to talk about Delta 8 versus Delta 9, which is a really great topic. We're going to cover both Delta 8 and Delta 9. We'll cover the benefits. We'll we'll talk about, you know, the questions between the two, why one might be better than the other for certain things, kind of how they fit specifically in Utah from a medical market perspective. So let me introduce myself. I'm Tim Pickett. I'm the founder of utahmarijuana.org and Utah Therapeutic Health Center. I'm the host of Discover Marijuana and one of the co-hosts of Utah in the Weeds podcast. Um, I happen to be voted the best QMP in Utah, uh, which is which is awesome. I really appreciate that. We've got Blake Smith there. I don't know, Tim. The... I voted for you like 10 times. So. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so we got, you know, Blake Smith. He's the uh, chief science officer at Zion Medicinal. Uh, also the other co-host of Discover Marijuana. We do a lot of educational YouTube stuff. Blake, do you want to add anything there? Um, well, no, I'm here. I don't know. What else should I add? Um, I I mean, you're on a... bioanalytical chemistry and I, uh, I love doing this. Yeah. And uh, Chris Hollifield uh, with us, my co-host on Utah in the Weeds. I'm really glad that you came tonight, Chris, and you could do this with us. I'm honored to be here. So what, what I think is nice about this group, the three of us is we kind of cover all aspects, right? We cover the, you know, the, the medical side from the provider, we've got the science from Blake and we've got really, Chris, you're like the connoisseur and the, the cannabis culture guru in Utah. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far. I'm just the regular, uh, regular Joe that enjoys cannabis. Uh, and Chris, I voted for you like 10 times as being the connoisseur in Utah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So you can, you can find, uh, Blake and I on discover marijuana, our YouTube channel. You can also find, um, you can subscribe. We have a ton of videos there. You know, here's one, here's a little clip. Uh, Blake and I, this is kind of, this is a fun little clip. Let me see if I can get it to play. Put it bluntly. What? Yeah. Right? Nice. What Cheech and Chong were smoking uh huh, is not what we're smoking today. Yeah. What Cheech and Chong were smoking is not what we're smoking today, Blake. And Utah in the Weeds podcast, if you're not familiar with that, it really just cannabis culture in Utah. Yeah, Chris. I mean, yeah, we over, interviewed. Yeah, Go over ahead. 60 episodes with uh, patients and uh, growers and uh, pharmacists. I mean, Blake was on the episode way back, I think, episode four. So, I mean, we've chatted with all kinds of people on there. So, 
tonight we're going to talk about, and I'll kind of intro this uh, for us, Blake, Delta 8, really. Let's let's focus a little bit on Delta 8 first. Blake, you want to give us a rundown of what exactly Delta 8 is? Yeah, so Delta 8 is an isomer of Delta 9. And basically, look, the reason why it's called Delta 9 is because of where the covalent bond is sitting, it's attached to the ninth carbon on that carbon ring of the THC molecule. So technically there's multiple isomers. There's Delta eight, there's Delta nine, Delta six, Delta 10, Delta 11. And so each one of these isomers has different characteristics in terms of how long it hangs out in endocannabinoid receptor system one versus how long it hangs out or moves to endocannabinoid receptor system two, which means it has different targets and they have potentially different therapeutic values. Um, some are naturally occurring in plants. Others are moved through different means, either using a catalyst or you could use energetic oxygen and UV light. There's different ways to create these isomers. Um, typically, it- you can find Delta-8 in plants, but it's really, really small. Um, usually, it's more of a considered a degradation product if it's found naturally in plants. So it's it's going to act differently because it's going to absorb or like bind to different receptors. Typically, it has to do with how long it sits in endo one versus endo two. So let me give you an example. So typically speaking, when we think about THC delta nine, we're mimicking the dopamine uh, in the central nervous system. Your body recognizes THC. It knows what to do with it because it acts very similar. But because of where the covalent bond is and its binding affinity, it tends to stay there for a period of time, which causes a larger psychoactive effect. Delta-8 does not tend to hang out in endocannabinoid receptor system 1 for very long. In fact, it moves right to endocannabinoid receptor system 2, which is the cellular uptake of cannabinoids. You find higher reception sites, typically around the trunk of your body where you have your organs that will uptake cannabinoids quicker and have more receptor sites in general. And so this is why Delta-8 is often described as a body high. And so can it get you psychoactively high? Yes, it can, but usually not to the same degree that Delta-9 will. Got it. So Delta-8, let's let's talk about the legality of Delta-8 here and the kind of the loophole that it falls under, right? Because you can make it from a hemp plant. You can basically like, you're not really synthesizing it. You're deriving it from a hemp plant, right? And then you're, but but you're not having to sell it in the medical market, particularly in many states, right? That is correct. So typically you can take THC Delta 9 and you can do uh, conversion properties with it and you can get it to move to Delta 8. But the more prevalent, the thing that people are more interested in is if they can take CBD and make Delta-8 from CBD because the cost is so much uh, better. However, to do that, it requires usually very harsh catalysts to do that. People are using sulfuric acid or hydrochloric acid to form that catalytic bridge, in which case, um, if you don't get that cleaned up, you can get what I call Frankenstein monsters on an HPLC uh, high-performance liquid chromatography mass spectrometer, you'll see a lot of little peaks. And then you'll see a peak that comes up that represents 
uh, your delta eight, and then you'll see these other little peaks. Those little peaks can represent impurities, and that could be a potential problem. Um, in the state of Utah, we do not allow delta eight except in the medical market, and we require 95% purity to do so, which I, this may not be popular, but I think it's a good rule because especially if you're inhaling it, you don't want to inhale Frankenstein monsters. You want something that you know is medicinal and has a very, very high quality standard to it. Okay. So, so back up just a little bit, because I know, I mean, I have them in my house, CBD gummies that are not just CBD gummies that were purchased in Utah. And then what you're saying is that, and they're not labeled Delta eight, but man, they feel just like Delta eight. Is this something that you're, you're saying that it's essentially not allowed or they're, they're not labeling it and they're putting it through in Utah or what's the, like, do you know much about that? Yeah. If you're buying it from out of state, then most states don't regulate the same way that Utah regulates the Delta A market. So you could theoretically come from Florida and you could bring a nerd's rope that technically passes the national farm bills, Delta nine standard of 0.3% THC because they don't recognize Delta eight or Delta 10 or Delta six as a THC derivative. They only are counting Delta nine and THCA. So if that's the case, I mean, theoretically, I could put hundreds of milligrams into one of these products. And in some states, it's never even tested. And I don't even have to declare it because they don't test for it. Got that's it. pretty sketch. I mean, if you think about it. But and this is we've talked a lot about about this. Now, I wanted I wanted to get your opinion, too, because we talk about it in the that QMP, um, the qualified medical provider and the pharmacy medical provider, like working group that I run it's, um, or that I'm involved in one of the big topics. One of our big priorities is to kind of crack down on the testing of these over the counter CBD products with Delta eight in them, because there are multiple, multiple, uh, reports specifically from, like uh, Mindy Medeo at Beehive in uh, Brigham City will say, look, I've get, I get this package and the patient brings it in and is like, hey, I got this at so-and-so's clinic or so-and-so's uh, shop. And this did not, th- this made me feel funny, right? And it has Delta 8 in it, but it was purchased here in Utah. So I know these things are getting through, but but essentially it's because of the federal rules aren't clear. And Utah's rules are clear, but you could theoretically bring a product in from out of state. You could almost bring a product in from out of state that meets criteria and then sell it. Yeah, I mean, it would come down to whether or not the Department of Agriculture can find you and enforce it. Now, we do know that they've done some enforcement, and there's been some people who have had some pretty serious ramifications for that. But yeah, I mean, if if let's just say, because I have a hemp company as well, I could theoretically make a bunch of gummies, you know, if I wanted to and throw Delta 10 in them, for example, no one is testing for Delta 10. That CBD gummy would never, ever show up as having any THC, but Delta 10 is about two thirds more potent than Delta 9. I could get a lot of people really lit really quickly off a Delta 10 gummy product, and it would be in quotation, fully legal. This is why, you know, 
having a medical program becomes really, really important because if we're talking about medicine, you should know everything in it. And I wouldn't even just say psychoactives. If I have a whole bunch of CBN or CBG or CBC in a product, you should probably know about those cannabinoids too. What's to stop me from throwing melatonin in if I don't declare it? I mean, really medicine, the difference with medicine is you should know everything that's in your product. and You should know that it's been tested to a certain standard. And right. I would love to know what Chris, Chris, I've just thrown a lot of like bombs out there in the universe, man. What, what do you think about all this? I mean, I'm sure you've heard some of this before, but, but I'd love to hear what you think. About Delta 8? Just, just everything that Tim and I have been talking about so far, you know, the regulation, how it works, Delta 10, other variants. Well, my, my concern is, especially since Delta 8 gets kind of labeled in with more of the hemp industry, the hemp industry kind of wants to be away from the THC industry. So it's kind of like you start wrapping the two together and it's just, they start gets in the wrong hands. It can get somebody kind of messed up. Like I shared a story about my mom getting a hold of some Delta eight. Actually. I think Tim heard yeah. that story. My yeah. mom uh, was given some CBD and uh, we come to find out later on, it has some Delta eight. I mean, it pretty much knocked her out, passed her out on the floor. And I, to me, for anybody to be able to get that from any store that doesn't sit well with me, that needs, that's just my honest opinion because that could have really hurt my mom. Yep. Yep. This is good. Let's move on to Delta nine a little bit, right? Let's talk about Delta nine. We know it's much, it's more commonly known than Delta eight. It's what gets us high, right? It's associated with all the psychoactivity. And it's not necessarily associated with, um, I don't know, the, the Delta 9, we're talking absorption in the brain, right, Blake? I think he froze up on us. I think Blake might have froze. So, And I can go through a little bit of this, but really, it's going to bind pretty well with the endocannabinoid system 1, right? CB1 receptors, Delta 9. When we talk about them together you know, Delta eight versus Delta nine, we really are, we're really going to talk about like from a medical standpoint, we're talking about the benefits of each. So Delta nine is associated with pain relief from this uh, psychoactivity, right? You're disassociating yourself from the pain. Whereas Delta eights pain relief is more peripherally absorbed and it's more of that body high sensation. So it may be in fact more pain relieving quote unquote, but it's not as disassociating. So some people really like that idea because it's not, it doesn't get them high. And other people will say, well, this, this Delta A product doesn't work because they're used to, they're used to that psychoactivity. And so I think from that, from the pain relief perspective, you've got to it's about setting expectations first before using the product and then knowing what you're kind of using. Delta 8 is really well known for anti-nausea. It's also really well known here. We didn't list it, but it's also very well, well used for GI. And like Blake was saying, it absorbs really well in the trunk area of the body in the GI system. So it tends to tends to help people with more abdominal pain or more GI upset issues, things like that, just because there's a lot more receptors there. Blake, we're talking about the comparison between Delta 8 and Delta 9 
from a medical standpoint, right? We've got the psychoactivity and the disassociation of Delta-9, where we have that peripherally absorbed uh, Delta-8 and the benefits of anti-anxiety, for example, where you may get better anti-anxiety from the Delta-8 product because it it's not as biphasic or it doesn't cause increased anxiety at high doses like Delta-9 does? Yeah, sorry, Tim. I missed the question. I cut out for a minute. But uh, discussing the medical benefits of Delta-8 versus Delta-9, is that where we're at? Yeah, basically, we're talking about like what Delta-9 is better for and what Delta-8 is better for. Talking sure. a lot about, about like trunk issues and abdominal pain issues for Delta-8. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. Um, when we when we think about Delta eight, I mean the first thing that immediately comes to mind are cancer patients, people who are on chemotherapy that causes nausea, upset stomach. Even if you are just taking medications, say antibiotics that cause disruption in the stomach, like um, and anyway, there's a slew of them. But um, those are the immediately the things that come to mind. Also, IBS. If you're talking about colitis and some of those things, Delta A can have a much better effect for those. Um, also, if you're just in pain, it can help take the edge off. And so without inhibiting cerebral function in any way, shape, or form. Um, if you're looking to have a long-lasting psychoactive effect, Delta A could be a disappointment for you, um, especially yeah. if you have tons of Delta 9 in the system or are used to Delta 9 in the system, Delta A could be not the right product for you if that's what you're looking for. Right. Like we, we talk a lot about patient specific medical care and we can move on from this slide, I think, because, you know, when we're talking about why bother with Delta eight, well, this is a good, this is a good example. I'm going to show this video of you and I, Blake, talking in your lab about the, the lady with the hand arthritis. Oh yeah. Works. It works. One of my favorite stories uh, ever is we had this um, little bit older woman who said, you know, I've had arthritis for the last 30 years and I have tried everything with my doctor, everything. And there's no way, and her, her fingers were actually bent. She couldn't unlock her fingers. And she sort of was pointing at me like this. So there's nothing you can do to do this. I've lived with this my whole life. And so we rubbed some balm on her knuckles. And I said, ah, oh, this is going to be a great moment for you to prove me wrong. And then after a couple minutes, she's like, now see, I told you. And she's pointing and moving her fingers. And they were completely locked before, which again, you don't have to be a believer. It, it just works when it's real medicine. That's the, that can be about both Delta eight and Delta nine, but the, but the really that patient specific guideline, right? You've got a 68 year old gentleman who gets dizzy, who has some type of cancer and needs pain relief, but doesn't have a lot of experience with that psychoactivity. Perfect patient for a high Delta eight product versus a Delta nine. You've got a 32-year-old woman who's used to Delta 9, right? Smokes, you know, has smoked weed for years on and off maybe. And she's not going to get, she might pick up the Lemon Dream vape cart that I've got here, the box, and she might think, gosh, this thing isn't strong enough, right? Because it has, it's going to be weighted heavily to Delta 8 versus Delta 9. So in that patient, I, I'm going to recommend a Delta 9 product. 
Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right, Tim. I mean, one of the other ways to think about some of this is, well, why, you know, if there's all these other cannabinoids, why do we even use Delta 9 or some of these other cannabinoids? The fact of the matter is there is therapeutic value. One of the greatest things that we have found in cannabis science, especially around the entourage effect, is THC has a higher absorption rate than CBD or some of the other cannabinoids do. And so when you pair some THC with other cannabinoids, the overall effect is ultimately better. And so the other thing that's really cool about that is because you have higher uh, cellular absorption rates with THC, and that can be both Delta-9 and Delta-8, and I'm assuming that that's the same for other analogs, but I have other tests to run on that. But, but yes, and so in a balm, in, a, in some of those type of things, a topical you know, as much as you can throw in, almost the better, because it's a localized effect right there with multiple cannabinoids, including CBG for inflammation. And so Delta-9, and there's other great purposes to Delta-9 too. I think particularly of somebody who uh, is doing cognitive behavioral therapy and who has very low levels of THC for them to reward new behavior trends set forth between them and their uh, specialists that they're seeing is, is a positive way to reinforce new behaviors. It's a reward system for the brain. I mean, there, there are plenty of places where THC Delta 9 is extremely appropriate. The thing that I think is interesting is the rec market tends to say Delta 8 has no value. It's a cheap synthoid version of Delta 9. And so that's not the real stuff. And what I would say is, I think that's actually a pretty ignorant position to take. The whole point of almost all medicine that's been created since the beginning of time has come from finding plants, mostly plant extracts finding out what medicinal properties they have, extracting those properties, and then figuring out their mechanisms of action, and then using those specific isolates to make medicine. You know, you can look at aspirin and see the salicylic acid. It come, you can get that from uh, birch. Yeah, white, white willow bark, right? Yeah, willow bark. Thank you. Willow bark. Yep. Um, th- there's a whole bunch of different, you know, natural remedies that basically are the exact same compounds that we now create. Right. Your dandelion tea for the diuretic, your yep. uh, right, your your willow bark. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's tons, tons and tons of examples of this. Yeah, and we're not always having to. So the the benefit from both is that that patient specific therapy. So from a rec market side, yeah, maybe there is less value for delta eight on the rec side. I, I mean, maybe that's maybe that's true. I, I think that's probably true. I think that is probably true. But from the medical side, there's going to be a lot of people who really benefit from a more tailored approach, right? That's what we could call right. it. Yeah, I no, I think that's the right, absolutely the right way. Uh, for a perfect example of this, why would you take aspirin versus Tylenol versus ibuprofen, right? All three of those are designed to do a similar function. They technically metabolize differently. You know, one is stomach metabolized, one is uh, intestinal metabolized, the other is liver metabolized. They actually mechanism do something slightly different from each other. And so there's a time and a place where aspirin is appropriate. Taking half, half a Tylenol a day will not thin your blood, whereas taking half an aspirin a day would. And so even in pain, we need to think about medicinal properties of the individual cannabinoids, including isomers. So do you find that there's, there's going to be more? So if there's Delta eight, Delta nine, 
So if somebody is a flower connoisseur, right? They they like flower. They're going to get a higher delta 9 product versus delta 8, right? Because it's not synth- it's not really made in high quantities in the plant itself. So the- Yeah, generally speaking that's correct. So you're going to be looking for from a delta 8 perspective product-wise, you're going to be looking for products that are cartridges, tinctures, uh, balms, things like that. Yeah. And you might include, uh, gelatinous cubes in Utah, right? Right. Edibles, some other edibles. Um, you might find Delta eight products in those, but again, you know, usually speaking, you're going to pair that Delta eight with other cannabinoids as well, because I would be hesitant to say that any one single cannabinoid by itself without any other values, probably it's not the right medicine either. Right. You know, from a Chris, what do you think about the products? Have you tried a lot of products with Delta eight? Oh, Chris might've frozen too. That's okay. I, I think, I I mean, I recommend, for example, I I have a, a lemon dream vape cart box here and it is, it's fairly high. It's about two thirds, um, Delta eight versus one third Delta nine. And I find myself recommending this cartridge all the time to patients who are new um, to the to the cannabis scene, like that don't have a lot of experience with Delta Nine and that psychoactivity. But I have also had patients come back to me and say, "Wow, that Lemon Dream wasn't very strong. Like it's not strong enough." But it's always patients who have a little higher tolerance for THC for Delta nine, or they're looking for something more disassociating and, and less of the Delta eight effect. When you ingest Delta eight versus Delta nine, is there a difference between the absorption? Yeah. So Delta eight absorbs quicker and and there's actually ways to even increase that. If you like nanotize something, uh, what we have found, say, for example, with the plush gummies produced by Zion, uh, they are typically 10 milligrams of Delta 9 or and, and 10 milligrams of Delta 8. And you will feel Delta 8 start to affect you at 45 minutes, almost to the to the T. Um, and you'll feel this immediate relaxing kind of body sensation. And then between an hour and five and an hour and 15 minutes, you'll feel the head change from the Delta 9. And so, yeah, so even how they absorb, and, and that's based on Q-lock P-value, what the absorption is across the cell membrane. Delta-8, the isomers of different forms of THC have different qualities. And, and that's actually expected based on changing of bonds, you know, chemical bonds. So, Got it. Um, we're, we're waiting for Chris to kind of come back on here. We lost him for a minute. Hopefully he'll, he'll come back. But the, one of the questions that we have on the, uh, on the chat here is wondering why some are saying Delta-8 THC is too synthetic. Also why, and in parentheses, hemp companies say Delta-9 THCV isolate is unstable and quickly turns to Delta-8 THCV. Do you know much about this, Blake? This is definitely out of my wheelhouse. We're talking about THCV. Uh, By the way, I love THCV. It's non-psychoactive and has appetite restriction qualities to it. And so there's some really cool implications medically for THCV. Look, I mean, this may not be popular to say, but let's just be true and honest with everybody here together tonight. 
you can make almost any cannabinoid from almost any other cannabinoid, right? And you can do that under various types of conditions. Some of those conditions can be very, very strong and hard. You could be throwing really strong bases, really strong acids, or you could be doing, you know, all kinds of interesting catalytic bridges. So like to make CBN, a lot of times people will use iodine. But let's be honest about this. If you're using iodine as your catalytic bridge, you should not be inhaling that in your lungs because you can't get it all out. If your CBN has a slightly pink hue to it, you should be a little bit concerned about that. Because real CBN that doesn't have a catalytic bridge like iodine or something that's in that same class of compounds typically is yellow or kind of a golden honey color, just like your other cannabinoids like CBD. But anyway, having said all that, look, one of the reasons why people say that it's over synthetic is because a lot of times most people are making this by applying harsh chemicals to make them. But I, you know, and I'm probably going to be shot by industry people on this. I hope not. But, but the reality is there's other ways to do this. I mean, naturally, like the degradation of THC to CBN can be done with energetic oxygen, UV light, and time. And a little bit of heat helps too, right? So UV, energetic oxygen. By energetic oxygen, it can't be just O2. It's got to be carbon monoxide or something along those lines, but those emanate out. They don't stay on the molecule. Whereas I have concerns when you use things like iodine because you leave residues. It's a, it's a similar problem with hydrocarbon extraction. You leave residues on these molecules. And so those things stay with those molecules when you inhale them or eat them or whatever that looks like. So the synthetic side of it, look, if we're talking about synthetic, what we're talking about is spice. I know all the different chemicals needed to make THC. I can go into a lab and start putting phosphates together with carbon rings, and I can start doing organic chemistry and make THC. I can do that without any plant-derived material whatsoever. That's no, there's synthetic. products on the market with, with that are THC that are synthetic. Marinol. Marinol. Uh, you know, I mean, these, are, these don't come from anything related to the cannabis plant at all. That's right. But what we have found is your body doesn't react exactly the same way as it does with THC. It's like, I sort of know what this is, but it's not exactly the same. Whereas what we have found is if you use plant material to start, and then you change cannabinoids based on using plant material or existing cannabinoids and just shifting a bond or things like that, your, your body knows what to do with those as if they were you know, produced naturally. Um, but that's a tricky business. It's a tricky business. And it's not for somebody in a garage with, you know, dirt floors and radiator hoses. I mean, this is, this is where pharmaceuticals employ chemists and they employ scientists and doctors and stuff to start doing this in a way that, you know, you're 90, anywhere from 95 to 99.999% pure. And so, I mean, sorry. what I'm, yeah. what I'm hearing you, what I'm basically hearing from all this is don't inhale, uh, over the counter. <laughs> don't inhale over the counter to Delta eight. Yep. Right? I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch it. In fact, it's probably not re it's probably not safe to ingest over the counter Delta eight based because of the testing, because we don't really know what's all in there. Whereas on the medical side, the state does require testing. That's why right. from a medical market side, you know, that the Delta eight being produced there is safe because of the stringent uh, rules. The state has set, if they can't meet that quite criteria, it can't make it into the market. So any Delta you, pr you produce in the state that gets into the medical market meets that criteria. I'd even go one step further than this too. And tell me if you agree with this, because I've, I've, I will tell my patients who are concerned if they come in and they're concerned about Delta eight, I would say, look, if you, if you get a product with Delta eight 
and you're having to use a lot of it, right? You're buying a vape vape cartridge and you're having to use a lot of Delta-8 products, even in the medical market. I'll suggest that my patients transition to a little more Delta-9 products so that they don't have to use so much Delta-8 because even if even if it's safe, right, and we're testing it, just because it's not as quote unquote natural, right? If you're having to use high doses of something that is helped along in the lab and you could use flour to supplement that, then, then you might as well, right? That, that to me just makes sense. Yeah. I mean, we think about this in terms of what we would call minimum efficacious dose, right? And so if you can get away with having the desired medical benefit of 2% THC, or let's even call it milligrams, because I'm more confident with milligrams. I like to dose mig per kg. But let's say you do two milligrams and that's sufficient for you. That's what you should be taking, right? So to your point, I'm in agreement with you. Look, if you have to take, you know, 100 migs of Delta 8 and you could get the same effect with 10 migs of Delta 9, you should do the 10 mg of Delta 9. That's a more efficacious, dose-responsible way to administer drugs. And so, you know, that's why, like, on serving sizes, you look at, you know, a Twinkie. You're not supposed to eat both Twinkies in the pack. You're only supposed to eat one, right? It's because two is actually more than what you're supposed to do now, right? This, is, this comes right. down to the individual controlling that. Like, you know, we're recommended, the reason why you're supposed to take one to two Advils is because of the amount of milligrams in there. But almost everybody's like, no, I need at least four, you know, and they just pop as many pills as they can take. So this is, this is where the individual responsible needs to work with their medical provider and their pharmacist to get the right medicine at the right dose to, to alleviate the medical condition. Chris, do you have much experience with Delta eight? No, really no experience. Um, as far as I know of. Right. I mean, uh, well, there you go. Right. I mean, you've, you, I guess at this point, that's kind of the, that's kind I mean, of the I, answer. We have I have gotten, give, right? have I gotten cannabis, uh, that has Delta eight in it? Probably. Yeah. Right? Or products with Delta eight. Yeah. Them. Cause I, I know, probably, uh, right? well, wasn't there, there was a Zion, you guys had some flour that had some Delta eight in it at, uh, yep. at wholesome. I think once and I picked up, I personally have no complaints, but no. And I, and, and I'll be honest, the, when I have had from a personal experience and from patient reports, if patients have, they, they don't want a lot of psychoactivity, but they need that body relaxation or that if patients with abdominal pain will come back and they'll be like, oh man, I found this product that has half Delta eight and half Delta nine. And it's just perfect so that I can, right. I can not be too high during the day and I can still work and I have an okay appetite I don't have that nausea in the morning. Those are perfect products for people. But like I say, it's it yeah, tends I mean, to be people with lower tolerance to THC. And you're talking about minimum efficacious dose. That's a medical market. That's right. I mean, here's the thing that I think is also interesting. You can't base it totally off THC percentage or milligrams because, you know, um, I'm going to high five everybody here and on the chat because we just got, you know, some state results on flour at 45%. Now, all of us around this table here, I don't it's awesome. believe it's at 45%. And the reason I don't believe that is because we have internal analytics 
And we showed it was somewhere closer to about 38%. And I trust my own analytics. But having said that, you know, it comes off at 45%. Man, if you're not an experienced user, that's going to floor you. That's going to have some really crazy repercussions if you're not comfortable with something that that's that strong, right? And so that's not an appropriate medicine for certain conditions. Now, there, I would say there are probably people out there who have the tolerance that that is an appropriate medication for certain conditions. And so, and I do trust that people kind of know who they are and what their deal is, but this is why in a medical market, you need to talk with your pharmacist. You need to talk with your, you know, medical provider. Is this the right medicine for the condition that I'm looking for? And, and if you've been self-medicating for years and years, you probably have a good, better sense of that than your doctor does. However, they should be part of that care team with you, just like you would for antibiotics or anything else. Yep. I, I totally agree. And I, I'm a big proponent of medical marijuana programs in States, um, much more so even than adult use programs. I think that adults should have the choice to use what they, what they want to use in a safe way. But I also think we leave out a huge number of potential patients that could benefit from medical cannabis when we bypass the medical market first. Um, and we give people access to 45 or even 38% THC products. They don't have, they don't have good experiences. So this is a great place to kind of wrap up to our next episode. We have some Q and a, uh, we have some good, we got some Q and a questions before we, uh, get out of here. We got two questions up here. Well, there was actually a question I noticed in the chat before I froze earlier. I don't know if that ever got addressed. Somebody Somebody threw a question in there. We addressed that while you were frozen. Okay. Okay. That was from, okay. So there's two other questions in here. One's from Courtney. She says, uh, does producing Delta eight lower the cost of cannabis for patients in Utah, or does it not affect that? So this is a great question. So I've heard this a lot from a lot of different people that they say, well, if you can make Delta eight cheaper, you should make sure that it's, you know, cheaper for patients. And here's what I would say. We should make all cannabis products cheaper for patients across the board. And that includes Delta Aid and everything else. But what I would also say is it's probably the wrong way to think about it because what happens typically, people are basing that off a percentage of Delta uh, THC. So it's not the manufacturer's ability to make that that makes necessarily the, the value proposition for medicine. But look, for me personally, I'm a producer. I don't have a pharmacy. I don't determine that final price. I can tell you what's happened multiple times in the market. I've been asked to lower my prices as a wholesaler to the pharmacy. I've lowered some of my prices, and then those prices were not equally lowered on the pharmacy side. And so I take a hit at my company, and then the pharmacy gets the advantage. Now, that's not all pharmacies, and that's not everybody. That's, that's a few isolated cases. But then if I can't guarantee a final distribution of that product at a lower price, I don't have any incentive to, to change my pricing. Does, does that make sense? I try yeah, to keep totally. them reasonable within the market, but I don't have control of those final prices. There's another question here. Uh, this one's going to Tim. It's uh, anonymous. They say, Tim, do you prefer one over the other for your patients or does that vary by condition experience? I mean, I basically try to meet patients where they're at, right? So somebody comes in and they've used they they've used cannabis before, and they understand what THC, what Delta Nine feels like. Um, you know, you're gonna 
try to guide them into products that will help them, maybe higher THC products. If a patient has, there are times when Delta 9 is extremely valuable. And that's when somebody, you can just tell they cannot get out of their own head with their pain, right? So Delta, you can try Delta 8 in those scenarios, but you want to add Delta 9 to that because you need to give them some relief, right? Like some type of, wow, I'm going to put my pain over there for a while. That's the Delta 9 patient. And that's the, that's kind of meeting patients where they're at. Delta 8, you know, if I run into patients with chemo induced nausea, or really just chronic nausea in general, or patients who are really anxious, but that anxiety manifests in a lot of abdominal pain and cramping and abdominal type issues, then Delta-8, I tend to lean those patients to that right away. But in addition, like we kind of touched on tonight, I will add, uh, you know, I'll write down CBN and I'll say, when you're going to the pharmacy, you know, ask about products with CBN ask about products with Delta-8. And I'll just write those two things on the paper and then I hand it to the patient and then they can go, you know, make that next step with the pharmacist to try to pick the the product that that might work for them. There's another question here. Uh, the final question, unless anybody else has any questions, throw them in the Q&A. It says, uh, are there other Deltas aside from eight and nine? I believe this was addressed yeah, earlier too, yeah. Yeah, so there, there, we know of there's Delta 10, Delta 6, and Delta 11. Um, sorry that they're announcing over the airport. Um, Delta 6, we have made it Delta 6 before, but we don't know therapeutically really what it does yet. And so you haven't seen any products from Zion around Delta 6 because I don't know yet what it does and therapeutically what the value set of that is. Um, based on uh, some initial preliminary tests we've done, we think it will be more like a Delta eight feel. It doesn't, it's not a psychoactive, um, but we haven't seen what medical benefit it has yet. And then Delta 10, we do have been able to, uh, make multiple times and, and we have found that it's about two thirds more potent than Delta nine. Um, but we haven't taken it through all safety parameters yet. And Delta 11 actually is interesting because it often is a product where if you take even CBD and you encapsulate that CBD and you run it through your intestines and it sits in there for a really long time. So let's say you have a big steak dinner, you know, mashed potatoes and gravy, and you take like three or four CBD gummies with it. And that sits in your intestinal tract for a very long period of time you'll start to do conversion within your own body. And then your liver will actually do a conversion step to turn it into alpha hydroxy delta 11. And you can get very high off that as well. And so some people who take CBD will have a high experience. It's not from the CBD. It's because your body's doing conversion to delta 11. Wow. Wow. That's a lot of info right there. That's a, yeah, that's a lot of info. You gotta be, I mean, it really comes down to just being careful right? This is yeah, strong medicine. That's right. It yep. doesn't matter who you, who talks about it. Like we should just talk about it as a strong medicine. This is some strong stuff. <laughs> and very cool stuff and very cool. It's stuff, super right? cool. And we have great operators in the state of Utah. We have a lot of different companies. I mean, if you look at like fruit of life from Wasatch, for example, it's one of the most popular carts that's out there. It's a very cool product, you know, and it has a lot of popularity. Uh, of course you have, um, 
yeah, I mean, there's just almost everybody out there is producing things. And so that's one of the cool things about the market is if, if it's done right, all products should be found everywhere and all patients should be able to benefit from all of those products. And that's, that's a really cool thing. That's awesome. Amen. Well, I've liked this discussion, you know, let's, uh, let me see if I've got, I don't have anything else except for, you know, follow us on YouTube, discover marijuana. You can find both the YouTube, you know, channel with Tim and Blake, the discover marijuana education series. You can also switch over to a playlist. That's all Utah in the weeds and Chris and I's podcast there. Um, you can, you know, find out more at zionmedicinal.com. Blake, do you have a way for people to reach out to you guys um, specifically with questions or should they go through us? They can reach out to Zion, especially around Zion products. Although, you know me, I'm happy to talk about anything anywhere in the industry. I just think having a good industry presence is the right thing to do for patients. But um, they can reach out. There's an email for a Zion medicinal email that gets viewed, read. Uh, I believe twice a week, but also if they feel them to you, you, you have me on hot quick dial. So you can call mm-hmm. me anytime I do. Get quick answers. So yes, you're on his fave five. That's right. Fave five. Well, how about us, Chris? Oh, you're on my top one, man, right there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, in the fave, I'm in the top five. Uh, at yeah, least I'm in the top five with both of you guys. Yeah. I mean, from us, really, again, utahmarijuana.org, you can find everything you need to know about the Utah Cannabis Program right there. All right. I'm jumping on a plane. We'll see you all later. See you, Blake. Bye, everybody. <laughs>